Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. How do we perceive the world? That's the question at the heart of a new photography exhibition at the Bedford Gallery in Walnut Creek, Sight Unseen, which presents the work of acclaimed blind photographers. I visited this week, and these images are arresting. They're surprising, fascinating, beautiful, and so is the way that these photographers describe their process. Pete Eckert of Sacramento contends that vision is so strong that it masks other senses, other abilities. I feel light so strongly that it allows me to see the bones of my skeleton as pulsating energy. We'll talk about what this exhibit teaches us about sight, disability, and art that's after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. You walk into the Bedford Gallery in Walnut Creek to their new show, Sight Unseen, and you'll find this introduction to the work. Great art, it has been said, is not a product of eyes, but of mind. And it continues, the artists of Sight Unseen, in bringing their inner visions into the world of the sighted, reveal a rich visual and emotionally complex blending of the physical and conceptual worlds. You may have some questions about the practicalities of their artistic practices and processes, and we'll get to those. But this is the starting point. What the images revealed to me, an amateur photographer, was a startling originality in concept and in framing the subjects and the execution. And this should be obvious, but it bears mention too, there's no one way that the artists in this show make their images or conceive of their work. While they're united on the presence of the spectrum of disability, their inner visions are unique. We'll talk with some of these artists in a minute, but to set us up, we've got the curator of the Bedford Gallery at the Lesher Center for the Arts, Emily Enders. Welcome. Hi, Alexis. Thanks for having me. And we've got the curator of the show, Douglas McCullough. Welcome, Douglas. Excellent to be here. Yeah. Douglas, let's start with you. You're a photographer as well, but you're not blind or visually impaired. What drew you to these photographers and their photos? My original start point on this was uh, kind of just abstract thought. I've been interested in in chance operations in art. There's a long tradition of it, data, surrealism, and so forth. And I've used it in my own. So I, you know, the thought experiment is simple. Well, what did I, you know, what would be the chanciest possible photography? And I thought, well, by people who can't see, they have, you know, no visual input. It's got to be you know, utterly driven by chance. 
And in, in that thought, I was completely wrong. Hmm. I, I had it completely upside down. In fact, you know, so I sort of thought these photographers operated at the outer edge of photography somehow. They're at the very heart of it. And, and you put your finger on it in the intro, which is this is photography as idea. Hmm. So the, the visualization, the inner vision comes first and the photograph follows that. So in a way, the original is thought, you know, in their mind, in, in pure thought. And the photograph comes after, no matter how they're creating it in all these different ways. Yeah. So they're right at the very heart of photography. They're at the center of photography. So I'm sure people have a lot of questions off the bat, just kind of about the practice. And I was hoping you could tell us, you know, about the different kind of varying uh, processes and kind of degrees of uh, visual impairment that we're talking about in this uh, in this show. You know, there are there are thirteen photographers in this, counting one collective in New York, the Seeing with Photography Collective. And I think out of that whole group, there are three people, Kurt Weston being one who's here with us, uh, who have a very small degree of sight. Everybody else is blind. There is there is no input. Um, what that sort of masks or covers up is that these are intensely visual people. They just can't see. And so in, in that is this sort of purity. The originality you, you mentioned is that we, the sighted world, are absolutely immersed in images. We're in like a torrent of images, an avalanche of images. And what I've learned in talking to all these blind photographers and thinking about this is that the sighted world has essentially, in some ways, been blinded by all the images we're exposed to. All we see are those images now. They displace the reality of the world that's right in front of us. Instead, we see representations of that world. And if you can't see, you can't be influenced by this. So you're automatically operating in an extremely original way. Emily Anders, um, you're create, curator of uh, at the Bedford Gallery, and you've spent a lot of time looking at all different kinds of art. Once these pieces showed up at the gallery, what was your reaction to it? You know, relative to the other art that you you know see on a day to day basis. Yeah, so I think for me, um, I so much of the way that I operate curatorially is learning the stories behind the artwork and about the artists. Um, and so while every artist has a very unique story and in, in how they got to where they are now and how they made their work, when this art uh, showed up in the gallery, it was um, overwhelmingly beautiful. Um, not only are they aesthetically beautiful artworks and photographs, but the stories behind how they make these artworks and how they've overcome challenges and how they are just innate artists um, was really what, what blew me away. and. Um, kind of it took my breath away as we opened the crates. Has it changed the way that you think about what sight means? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think now um, as a person and also as a curator, I'm so much more conscious of the things that I look at um, in my day-to-day -day practice. I, I take for granted the fact that I can, you know, see to drive and, and see the birds in the yard in the morning and those types of things. Um, and I think it's having this exhibition up and learning about the artists and seeing the artwork has um, made the world a much more beautiful place for me. Yeah. Has it 
change the way that you think about artistic practice? Because there are some, I think, intense questions that we're going to get into with the artists in, in just a couple of minutes about, you know, intentionality and execution in the artistic world. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, a through line that I've found through researching all the artists and reading their artist bios is that um, regardless of the type of artist you are, if you're a photographer, a painter, a sculptor, the artwork and your vision for it starts in the mind's eye. Um, and that doesn't matter whether you are sighted or whether you um, cannot see. And so re really the original um, impetus for an artwork starts inside and in your mind. And that's no different for the photographers in this show. Yeah. You know, Doug, I was really struck by the Scottish artist, Rosita McKenzie, just her description of like when she decides, how does she decide to you know press the shutter? She says, I sense the light on my face. I hear the rustle of the wind in the trees or smell the fragrance of the flowers in the air. And I think I've really got to take this how do the different artists deal with that sort of moment of creation? Like when to take the photo? You know, what, what Rosita's comment um, points up is, is true of a lot of these artists, which is that there are many ways to see. And if you are lacking vision, just sight, you're not lacking inner vision. And so all of these other things touch the fragrance of the flowers, the wind coming off the beach, influence these photographers. So Rosita is making decisions about how to make photographs based on sensory input. It's just not visual sensory input. Mm -hmm. And that's true of other photographers. Henry Butler in New Orleans is a world-class blues pianist. And so he operates on a lot of what you would expect, which is audio cues, the sound, and so on. And then he builds a version of what he wants to shoot in his mind based on this kind of audio input and then makes decisions on that. Harada and the Genda in Oaxaca, it's the same thing. You know, there are all these other inputs that then form in the mind's eye what is in front of you and what you should photograph. I mean, it's marvelous, actually. Yeah. With Henry Butler, I mean, one of the things that's fascinating is there's uh, one of the photographs is a performer with a whole bunch of keys, like on a big necklace kind of strung uh, around them. And suddenly that photo, which was initially, you know, purely visual, you can hear the movement of, of those keys. You can imagine that you can kind of do that transposition uh, in your in your head. Uh, it's really beautiful. Um, Emily, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the kind of accessibility of this particular exhibit to people um, who may be visually impaired uh, or you know, other folks who might have some form of disability. Like, What has the gallery done, not just for this show, but in general to become more accessible? Yeah, absolutely. So for this show in particular, um, we were able to make our postcard invite in Braille. Um, and so that you know, was a way for us to reach the, the blind and um, low vision community and let them know that our exhibition was happening and hopefully that they could get to the gallery and see it. Um, we have put up large format text so that if someone is um, lower vision but can still see, they're more able to read the wall labels and learn about the artists. And we also added um, audio elements to it so that if you are completely blind um, or very, very low sight, you can still listen to the audio files and hear about the artist bios and also Doug has done these wonderful descriptions um, of, of the artwork in the show. And so I, I chose two artworks per 
um, artists to put audio files up so that you can listen to them and hear an explanation of, of what you're looking at. That's so cool. There is a link to the exhibit that is up on our website, kqed.org slash forum. You can go there and you can take a look at, at some of these uh, works. In particular, after the break, we're going to have Alice Wingwall and we're going to have Kurt Weston. So take a look um, at those. Emily, uh, before we let you go, I just wanted to ask what the audience reaction has been to, to this work. It's been really beautiful. I've had really interesting conversations with people um, that I normally don't have about the technical nature of how the artists create the photographs and how mm. uh, they know when they have a quote unquote good photograph. Um, and I think that that conversation can happen along any lines. Like how does a painter know when they have a good painting? Um, it's a, this innate feeling that the artist has that once, once they've reached the final product that this is what they want to show the world. And it also reflects what their inner vision was for um, for that piece. And so people are just blown away by the creativity and the beautiful and aesthetic qualities of the photographs that are up at the Bedford. Yeah. We're talking about an exhibit at the Bedford Gallery in Walnut Creek. It's called Sight Unseen, International Photography by Blind Artists. Joined this morning by Emily Enders, curator of the Bedford Gallery, which is at the Lesher Center for the Arts and who oversees the public art program in Walnut Creek. Thank you so much for joining us, Emily. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. We're also joined by Douglas McCullough, senior curator at the California Museum of Photography and the curator of this particular exhibit, Sight Unseen. We'd love to hear from you. What questions do you have for the artists or for the curator? Are you blind or visually impaired? What does this work mean to you, and how do you think about it? Give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org, or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about an exhibit at the Bedford Gallery in Walnut Creek. It's called Sight Unseen, International Photography by Blind Artists. Joined this morning by Douglas McCullough, Senior Curator at the California Museum of Photography and Curator 
of the show. Earlier, we were joined by Emily Enders, curator of the Bedford Gallery at the Lesher Center for the Arts, who oversees the public art program there. Now we're going to bring in a couple of artists who are featured in the show. Alice Wingwall is a photographer and sculptor featured in Sight Unseen. Thank you so much for joining us, Alice. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We're also joined by Kurt Weston, photographer and featured artist in Sight Unseen. Love to uh, hear from you. Having a little trouble with the phone. So try forum at kqed.org. What questions do you have for the artists or the curators? Um, Doug, let's, uh, or Kurt, actually, let's start with you. Um, can you describe the work that you have in this gallery show? Yeah, great, Alexis. Be happy to. The, so I, in my process, I wanted to represent aspects of my own vision loss. So I have a limited amount of vision. I have no vision in my left eye and just a limited a bit of peripheral vision, no central vision in my right eye. So it's almost as if someone had taken a big glob of Vaseline and smeared it over my mm-hmm. eye. So everything that I see is extremely blurred and very distorted. And so I wanted to find a process that would represent some aspects of my vision loss. And I couldn't seem to find that in a regular photographic uh, technique with a camera. So what I started doing was I'm very much into alternative image capture. So I started utilizing a uh, flatbed scanner Hmm. in order to take my images. So... In the images that are represented in the gallery, um, all the portraits I have are of people who have actually laid their faces down on the scanner, and then I scan their faces, which is very interesting because it makes whatever is touching the scanner glass extremely vivid, but everything that's uh, further away from the scanner glass quickly fades to blur and black. And so it has an extremely uh, short depth of field. And, um, you know, with my visual um, distortion, it's very, in some ways, similar to how I perceive the world. And I think, you know, visually, it feels almost like these faces are melting, in a sense. You know, they <laughs> they have, the, it kind of gives them that, that quality. And, I, you know, when I was at the show... I saw that one of the ways that you describe what you're trying to get at in your work is is this sense that we are all, in a sense, kind of melting uh, in in and decaying as, as we get older. Exactly. Yeah. So in that specific uh, body of work that you're speaking of, I actually photograph senior citizens. Partially, one of the reasons I decided to do that was because I am a person living with AIDS. And when I generated this work, I really thought that I had very little longevity to my life. I thought that I would die a very at a very young age. And so I was very fascinated by people who had lived lives um, very long and were in their 80s and 90s. And I felt very uh, much um, akin to what they were experiencing because of my own disability and my own disease and uh, the degenerative aspects of how the disease had affected my own body and vision. So I um, was drawn to that um, that body of work and photographing these portraits uh, with the scanner of these individuals. And yes, I, I do feel that um, just as with my vision, our own bodies are temporal, right? We are not 
uh, physically going to, um, as they say, nobody gets out of this world alive. <laughs> and we are, and we're, you know, at a point, we're all at some point uh, in a state of decay. And I, and I did actually want to represent that in the work, not only the visual aspect, but the actual physical aspect as well. So you were also a photographer before you experienced this vision loss, right? I mean, you were a fashion photographer, as I understand it. Yes. And it was as a fashion photographer and then experiencing this um, vision loss due to AIDS, I really uh, was devastated because not only was I losing my life, but I was losing my career as a, a fashion photographer. And then it wasn't until I um, went to the Braille Institute here in California that I discovered how to use low vision magnification devices and adaptive computer technology, which helped me to see, because uh, I, I have like a very large monitor and I have a program that allows me to magnify and zoom up to a point where I can start to see some detail. So I was, I realized after learning these adaptive technologies that I could still do my work. And then I transitioned from being a fashion photographer to a fine art photographer. Is that how you review the work? You take these images, which, you know, in the gallery are, are quite large, and you use those magnification technologies to be able to see how, how they came out? Oh, yes, yes. I, I, um, I'm very grateful for the fact that I still have a little bit of vision. And with the use of these technologies and low vision magnification devices, I'm able to edit and uh, modify the work to a point where I um, I like to see it. Um, and I also think that my vision loss, because I am still, even with these uh, adaptive computer technologies, I'm still having to uh, work through the actual vision loss. So the thing, the images that I create um, look different to me than they would to a sighted person because I'm still seeing them with that distortion. Mm -hmm. And I think that since I'm enhancing these images to be more brilliant and more uh, visible to me, it's actually creating a whole nother level of uh, vision to the, the sighted viewer. And uh, so it, it creates a whole nother way of seeing, uh, not only for myself, but to the person viewing the work as a sighted person. So fascinating. Kurt Weston, photographer and featured artist in Sight Unseen. We're also joined by another artist, Alice Wingwall, photographer and sculpture, also sculptor, also featured in the show. And Douglas McCullough, who curated um, this exhibition, which is Sight Unseen International Photography by Blind Artists, which is up right now at the Bedford Gallery in Walnut Creek. Love to hear from you. What questions do you have for the artists or curators? Phones are working. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Are you a blind or visually impaired artist? How do you think about the meaning of vision or perception? We'd love to hear from you as well. You can find us on Twitter, Threads, Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Um, Alice Wingwall, I'd love you just to describe your work. Well, once I lost my vision to a, um, it was retinal cells dying and they couldn't be replaced and it can skip generations. Hmm. But um, I rely a lot on memory and um, perceptions. People are always asking, um, how can you take a photo if you're blind? Well, 
Um, I rely on capturing through sound and imagination forms that I would like. I've been trying to move the images, what I feel as if I'm moving the images in the larger image itself. And often I will photograph, if I don't know where I am, I move my camera around a lot. I, I always uh, work with a camera in hand. I don't even use a tripod unless there's some reason I should, but I'm guessing a lot. So I'm moving the camera around as fast as I can and taking many, many images. Then hmm. um, I need to talk to someone else. That could be my husband about what I got as a result. So if I'm, I usually, from the beginning, uh, took a lot of architecture or buildings, which I loved around me. And since then, I have to move the camera even more. Then I can put things back together. And I, so I rely on my memory also. What did I see yesterday or the day before? What do I hear today that helps to add to those images? I think we always begin with the brain. The brain conceives an image, then we try to place that image as we want it, juxtaposing it to other images and just working from that. So we, we start with the inner, it's what we might call the mind's eye, yeah. or what we remembered from um, things we've heard, whether it's the wind or piles of mud, uh, squishing around up and down and then trying to by moving around in a big circle or a long line of images that we have to look out later look at later and then sometimes uh, when I switched to digital um, and already I had lost my vision uh, we have an inner vision and another one the physiological vision when that's gone so then I would ask my husband who hmm. described some of my uh, images that were downloaded to the computer. Mm -hmm. And if he just talks about cropping or cutting something, I think, no, get rid of that. But if he, if he has a big intake of breath. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then, you know, I got I it. Good image. I'll keep that one. <laughs> so it's just a, a quick visceral response to the shapes that he sees there and sometimes i'm sometimes i'm photographing alone sometimes uh he's along and i can ask him uh what do you see over there do you see that building in boston uh, or in other towns that i have lived in or photographed in so you're you're putting together all this information going in your ear or your tactile senses and then trying to re-image the thing in a different way. Do you, when you're working with your husband in this process, do you say, here's what I saw in my mind's eye. Here's what I had in mind or thought I was going to capture. Did I get it? Or do you wait for him to describe and think like, that does seem to match up. Like, how, does it go both ways? It goes both ways. So I rely some on his imagination and on my guessing about images and imagination. Mm. 
So we're just, we're combining that as well as, as well as physically holding the camera out and just keep shooting. And when some of the people say again, well, how can you take a photo if you're blind? Well, I say, I just press the shutter. <laughs> it's a simple physiological act that allows the camera and the technology to help us form the image that we started in our mind to, I'm, I'm hoping that people will be able to understand the image that I started in my mind and see what happens. You know, one listener asked, because you, you mentioned your transition from film to digital, uh, one, one listener asked, do these photographers prefer film to digital? Uh, I wonder if the tactile nature of film would change the work. And we'll start with you, Alice. Well, um, I, I've forgotten now when I started digital. I, I, for a while, I kept doing both, but it became more and more arduous because you have to have the film. Um, I used to process all my own film in my home darkroom. But when I had lost my sight, mostly, I thought, hmm, hmm, I've got to do something else. And so it was trying to figure out how you use, the digital has a lot of surprises. <laughs> um, I was working with a camera called a Sony Sweet Panoramic, and you have to move the camera, say, from left to right, and then you're supposed to end up with six images. But in several cases, in one, I was on a beach um, at Sea Ranch, Black Point Beach. Mm, I, I and, know and love that place. <laughs> right, it's yeah. great. But um, that one turned out to have 25 images when there were supposed to be six. Huh. And so we don't know, and nobody, not the place where I got my cameras, nobody knew how the camera did that when you didn't think it could. And no one knew. They said, we, we haven't a clue. You'd have to talk to somebody <laughs> much more technical to yeah, yeah. figure out how all these image, images got in. And um, another one that I took in Sweden uh, did only have six images. And I was moving my arm from right to left against the notion that the camera was moving. But what it did, it had only six images, but I had my thumb up as I was moving my arm and it, the camera decided, and how we don't know, to put all the thumbs on the left side of the image. Mm -hmm. So you have these long, long arm mm -hmm. in six images, but they put them all together. Mm -hmm. I thought, is it some light quality that's hitting the lens? Is what kind of um, technical, information is that lens getting or is it the way the light falls yeah. that changes it we just don't know technically mm, that's interesting douglas mccullough um creator of the show i was wondering if you might talk a little bit about how the different artists that you feature i think there's 14 artists do most of them collaborate with sighted folks do people not what are the different ways that that people approach making the work you know, uh, it, th that's an excellent question. And I, I first off, I have to say that it's already been pointed out that all these artists as, you know, sighted artists or any other artists are really unique and individual. There's not this big category of blind photographers all operating the same way. So in reality, there's there is a spread. Um, some people, 
Alice mentioned, you know, her husband Donlin looking at the photograph and describing it to her. Um, some people, you know, characterize that as I see, I see the way everyone else does with eyes. I just have to direct someone else's eyes. Mm. But other people are kind of almost ferociously independent and want no interference or no assistance whatsoever. Um, so the and I think both ends of the spectrum are are completely valid. Um, the the range of techniques used, the cameras used, or scanners or devices are just all over the map. This is mainly because, as I keep being told by blind people, this is the if you're going to be blind, this is the best time to be blind in history because there are so many assistive technologies that you can use. And these photographers, if, if you're blind or visually impaired and decide to become a photographer on this level, you're automatically a ferocious person. <laughs> uh, Kurt, Alice, every single artist in this group are, you know, kind of fierce. They won't be stopped and they use whatever tools and whatever techniques they can bring to bear to realize their inner vision. Yeah, it was, you know, I think it's Alex DeJong seemed to use this assistive technology, right, to have using his iPhone and then having the phone kind of read out details of the sort of framing and composition, yeah? Yeah, it's kind of wonderful. A few, a number of photographers around the world, um, he's in the show, but there are some others, Pranav Lal in, in India is using this technology called Voice that is a Dutch creation. It's now eight or nine years old and keeps evolving. So if you're aiming a digital camera, especially a phone at something, what it does is find all the edges, find the composition, describe the color, and you get an audio description. You can, you know, wear headphones and it will describe what that screen is seeing at that moment. Interpreting how that description works is a whole other thing. Right. <laughs> That's the art. Yeah, for sure. We're talking about an exhibit at the Bedford Gallery in Walnut Creek, Sight Unseen, International Photography by Blind Artists, joined by the curator Douglas McCullough, as well as two of the artists, Alice Wingwall, photographer and sculptor, and Kurt Weston, a photographer and featured artist in Sight Unseen. What questions do you have for the artists or curators? Maybe you're a blind or visually impaired artist and you'd like to share your experience. The number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about a new exhibit. It's called Sight Unseen, 
International Photography by Blind Artists. It's up at the Bedford Gallery that's in Walnut Creek. Joined by two of the artists, Kurt Weston and Alice Wingwall, as well as the curator, Douglas McCullough. I have some interesting um, questions coming in. I thought maybe the Kurt will um, bring this one to you first. Drew asks, how do the artists edit the images that are created? In what way do the artists determine works they might consider better? Okay, well, Drew, I, for myself, because I can only speak for my own process, I, as I had mentioned previously, still have a little bit of vision and I use adaptive computer technology to zoom in on the images that I generate. And so I basically do most of the editing um, on my own with the help of the magnification devices and the adaptive computer technology. And um, I'm really, I have, uh, I actually went and got my master's of fine arts degree at California State University Fullerton as a legally blind artist. And so I, feel it is very important for myself and my own process to have control over the not only the making of the images, but also the editing of the images and the modification of the images, because I also work with Photoshop and do a lot of the modifications on my own. So I, 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 for me personally, it's extremely important to, um, to, be, to have that control over my own imagery. You know, Kurt, uh, continuing to follow up on this, I mean, one another listener, Barbara, writes, I'm not blind. However, I have visual vision distortions due to retinal problems. I feel frustrated because in my training as a photographer, clarity of the image is emphasized. When I edit on the computer the way I can see it, I'm advised to erase the sharpening by 50%. One of my best images, most beautiful images of a water lily taken in Vietnam, has been considered, quote, not quite correct because of its soft focus. I, too, need my husband's assistance before I submit my images for public viewing because I struggle. So thank you for your show uh, on this topic. And thank, thank you, Barbara. I mean, I was wondering how you would think about this, um, Allison, you know, in, in terms of making an image for her own way of seeing versus making that image for... A perspective viewer's sight. Uh, Alexis, do you mind if oh, I just jump oh, sure. in really quick? Yeah, here? yeah, sure. I just that I haven't. Uh, so I actually teach photography at the Huntington Beach Art Center, and I have students now who are using uh, a type of technique called ICM, intentional camera movement, where they actually move the camera with a slow shutter speed while they're photographing, purposely to distort and um, soft, so soften the image, make it look more painterly. Hmm. So I think what um, what your Barbara, guest, yeah, Barbara, ask is very important because I think it's funny that in my from my own experiences that my students are actually using this technique, this ICM, intentional camera movement, to generate kind of an image like I would see as a blind person or a, a legally blind person. And it's actually creates a whole level of aesthetic that's really quite beautiful and painterly. So I think she should appreciate what she's experiencing with, with her vision distortion and actually appreciate the beauty of what it creates because even sighted people now are generating images that look like a blind person uh -huh. <laughs> created. Uh -huh. So, so interesting. And it's like that inner vision versus the 
the the outer manifestation of the representation of that to other and people. also and also what a visual impairment could do to actually inform a new way of seeing that's what i like to say it as a new way of seeing new way of seeing yeah alice do you want to uh, do you want to talk about this as well well i'm lately perhaps for the past 10 years i'm trying to push the frame apart in a way i'm not sure i'm always successful but i like that idea of movement um i saw some painters doing this once and so i try it so things can bang into the left or right if you're using a camera it chooses itself the frame and many of them are similar in size through the viewfinder but since i can't use that i imagine what might happen if a head goes against the left frame for instance, <laughs> or mm -hmm. if a hand reaches out from the bottom edge of it and how that happens i just try to move it around a bit uh, and move it around and that changes the um, image i think people care too much about very sharp focus so it doesn't bother me often if i'm able to get a soft focus uh, because it's it's almost as if I'm coming out of a place behind because it had soft focus and then trying to move the side pieces to go with my idea of moving them around. So interesting. Um, I also just wanted to pass along this for you, Alice Wingwald. Um, listener Leslie writes, I have a home in the Sea Ranch and have long admired Alice Wingwald's architecturally focused work. Her images and other uh, of other weathered structures, the light, the angles, have captured the spirit of this coastal community more than any artwork I have seen. I'm grateful to Alice and her husband, Donlan Linden, a co-creator of our coastal community, for their powerful artistic impact on the exquisite Sea Ranch. Thank you for this program, and I, along with my visually impaired friends, will most definitely visit the Bedford Gallery. Just wanted to pass that along. Um, let's bring in um, Carl in San Jose. Welcome, Carl. Hello, Alexis. Thank you. Thank you. And hello, panel. Um, I am I am a person who is recently uh, pretty much totally blind. I have some light perception and such. But I'm curious how a person who is blind or totally blind might experience this, uh, this exhibition. Yeah. Are there any uh, particular... Uh, accessible features that are provided with, with the exhibition. Mm -hmm. um, interested in both the gallery, the curator, and the artists. Yeah. Thank you, Carl. I, it's, a, it's a really good question. Um, Doug McCullough, you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, th this was at the very top of the show. Emily, the curator there, uh, mentioned uh, some of this, is that um, the exhibition has uh, audio descriptions of collected works for all of the artists. So you can you can listen to audio descriptions of pieces. In addition, there are short kind of biographical essays, which are a combination of who the artist is, but then how they work. And those are also available in audio form. There's also Braille. And on top of that, two of the artists um, use tactile elements in their art. So Rosita McKenzie, who shoots photos a lot based on other sensory input, 
there are tactile pieces. There, there's basically two pieces to each of her uh, units in the show. One is a photograph, and then there's a tactile one, the same size that you can touch, that has outlines of a bridge over a creek and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's partly can you make sense of that those tactile raised lines. Gerardo Nagenda has the same thing. You can touch his photographs and they have Braille punched into them. If you can read Braille, he has put his own very poetic, beautiful descriptions mm. of what are in those images and punched, put the photo through his Braille writer and punched Braille right through the surface. So you can touch the photo and read his own description of the, the smell of the ocean, the breeze coming mm. off the sea, what he experienced when he shot a photograph of the sea. So there are many ways to encounter this. His um, descriptions were so beautiful that I found myself taking photos at the exhibit of what he was of what he was describing. The actual words were were that beautiful. And then I loved that in those images, the Braille wasn't just sort of like put at the top or at the bottom, the Braille was actually sort of encoded onto the image in different places, which yeah. felt like it would add this whole other dimension of sort of, uh, of poetry, basically. Absolutely, I mean, they're, they're intensely poetic. A, the, the images themselves are beautiful, but then the Braille on top of it, as you say, it's sort of distributed in ways across the, across the photo. And beyond that, there's, there's this intense beauty in what those photographs do. There's a poignancy in the fact that the, the person who made the photo, Gerardo Nagenda, will never see that photograph. So he needs me or someone to, if he's going to have a sense of what it is, describe it to him. But I can't read the Braille. And so mm. I, and, and not only is it Braille, but it's Braille in Spanish. So <laughs> I really can't read the Braille. I need him to say, well, what, what, do, what is this Braille? So it's like a bridge that connects these two worlds, the sighted mm -hmm. world and the blind world. Each of those photos is a bridge between the two. I just love it. I mean, I'm just going to read a couple of these. Um, these are translations into English, but the great fragrance of my affection, a window of light can illuminate the universe. The harmony of silence with the movement of water leads to serenity the gentle touch of the wind and the enticement of the sea leads to personal interaction, multiple glances at the bodily rising. They're really beautiful. And that's those are just the words that are associated. We're not even talking about the images or the, the sort of the, the way the Braille interacts with those images. It's, it's really remarkable work. Um, Doug McCullough, I did want you to tell um, the story of another of the artists um, in this exhibit. Can't join us. Um, Michael Richard died. But when I was at this exhibit, I was just extremely struck by Michael Richards' work is, you know, it is in black and white. It's of forms that we often have seen, you know, buildings and I think it was downtown Los Angeles, basically. But it is just so incredibly good. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what is really a remarkable story of artistic creation. Yeah, Michael Richards, wonderful person and a and an accomplished session musician, um, who was blinded by actually a, a brain tumor over time. So he lost a lot of sight and eventually almost all of his sight and eventually died from this brain tumor. 
Um, he maintained a ferocious foothold in the visual world. So he would use, as Kurt mentioned earlier, assistive technologies, devices, magnification. Go. He would go down to a plaza or a parking garage. It didn't even really matter in downtown Los Angeles. And before making a photo, he would spend sometimes two days scrutinizing and using every device possible to figure out what is this place? What is this visual place I am in? And eventually make a photograph. It's the most, it's the opposite of everybody with an iPhone shooting a thousand photos in an afternoon. <laughs> this is the most concentrated, beautiful, serious kind of seeing that you would ever encounter. And all of that distillation, that condensation, that intense kind of seeing and building that in his mind is represented in those photos. That's why every you look at them and go, oh my God, these are amazing. You go, yeah. How can you be working with the same thing everyone else has and yet it's so much more beautiful? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I wanted to share another uh, comment from a listener, Alex, who writes uh, to say, love catching this segment about sight unseen while driving into work. Wanted to share that here at the Tenderloin Museum, we have an amazing show by a totally blind artist from the neighborhood named Lord Frederick. It's called Memory of Sight. Listeners and the artist might be interested, and I and Lord Frederick are very interested in the Sight Unseen show um, and this discussion. Let's bring in uh, one last caller here, Jim in San Francisco. Hi, good morning, Alexa. Oh, no, we're losing you, Jim. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, good. Um, I wanted to in, I wanted to introduce people to a colleague and friend of mine, Chris Downey, who's an practicing in the East, uh, accomplished architect and lost his sight about 15 years ago, and he's become internationally recognized architect working to consult on public spaces um, and how they can be better adapted to people that are blind and other disabilities. And he can he's had TED talks. He's been on 60 Minutes, and if people are interested in this topic of how people perceive the world differently than sighted people, I would recommend they look him up. His name is Chris Downey. Chris Downey. He's quite amazing story. Thank you so and, much. Uh, thank you. It's an yeah. inspiring show. And we both studied with Donald Linden at Berkeley. And so, oh, wow. Uh, Alice Manuel and that uh, kind of had this connection back to all of us. Oh, that's beautiful. Hey, thank you so much, um, Jim. You know, Alice, I, I did want to return to you because you've said in the past that, you know, that blind photographers are committing a political act just by the, the sheer nature of doing their work. That's absolutely true. It's, it's a radical act because you're dissatisfied with something that already exists. And you are perhaps in some angle of that because you want to keep on taking images and with all the opportunities you have, and change things. So I think it's very important that we all keep working. We mind photographers um, trying to show aspects of what we do or don't see, how it holds together or it falls on the ground, um, like some liquid moving in and out. And I just think, I feel that we have to keep on doing these radical acts every time we press the shutter or use any kind of technology which is changing the way cameras work. Um, I just hope they keep working that way. I hope they don't take away the um, 
power that we have by being able to press the shutter. Yeah. So it's it's a little anxiety about the future of what we, how many times we can press the shutter, how many images can we make, how many images can we smash together, um, or somehow soft using soft focus as a, a sort of magnetic act that we can engage in to express what we feel like without having sharp um, mm -hmm. edges. Let's move it all around in any way we can, um, moving back and forth, moving up and down, circling yeah. our uh, perhaps more intimate globe that we're thinking about taking photographs of. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Allison. You know, Kurt, I just wanted to tell you that to, to Alice's very point, when I was trying to take pictures with my iPhone of your work, the iPhone kept trying to like, in, like sharpen the focus of the aspects of the images that were intentionally not created with that kind of focus. So it's incredible. I was looking, you know, at the image in my phone and at the image on the wall, and they looked different because the iPhone was trying to correct your artistry. Um, so, there you go. Yeah. This is terrible. You're generating your whole a whole nother level of seeing with yeah. your cell phone there. There you go. Right. Um, we have been talking about an exhibit at the Bedford Gallery in the Lesher Center for the Arts in Walnut Creek. It's called Sight Unseen, International Photography by Blind Artists. If you're a photographer, you are going to love it. So the work is so interesting and original. We've been joined by Douglas McCullough, Senior Curator at California Museum of Photography and Curator of the Show. Thank you, Douglas. Oh, love to be here. We've been joined by Kurt Weston, photographer and a featured artist in the show. Thank you so much, Kurt. Thanks. And since it's so hot up in the Bay Area, I hope everybody goes to the gallery to stay cool and look at cool images. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and we've been joined by Alice Wingwall, a photographer and sculptor, a sculptor also featured in the show. And Alice, hope to run into you at Sea Ranch, which is one of my favorite places on Earth. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. The 9 o'clock hour of forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Dan Zoll, Jennifer Ng, Rachel Vasquez, and Juan Carlos Lara. Our intern is Jericho Reininger. Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. Judy Campbell is lead producer. Our engineer is Danny Bringer. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindy, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.